Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator, joins me with Scott McKay, also editor here, there, everywhere, reviver, um, the hayride, and he just had a piece up at the American Spectator yesterday. I think we should start about start with talking about that, Scott. Uh, you went and saw the movie. I'm going to be going next week to Oppenheimer, just in case some of you watching thought I was going to say Barbie. Right. That would be. I didn't actually write about that at The Spectator, though. Just to be clear, my review of Oppenheimer has not made it. Actually, this this would be the uh, the debut of it. It'll be live action rather than on on, on the printed page. Um, okay. Let's talk about, Sorry the movie. about that. Yeah, no problem. I got that wrong. Well, okay, so let's talk about it. You saw it. You liked it. What I liked it. Um, the, okay, there are people calling it a masterpiece. For me, the two masterpieces of Christopher Nolan's career as a filmmaker are the two Dark Knight movies that he made, the Batman movies. To me, they were both like absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal movies. Um, and then he's had some other very good. Dunkirk was very good. Um, Interstellar, I thought, was was uh, was good, although there were flaws in Interstellar. Um, and this one ranks, I think, maybe just below the Batman movies. Um, and then, of course, Inception was was good. But the problem with Inception and Tenet is he makes the audience work too hard. He doesn't make the audience work too hard in Oppenheimer. Um, but it is kind of a Christopher Nolan thing that it um, it's one of these kind of layered uh, plots that he does where he's got like three different things that are going on. Um, so, that, well, actually four. So there's there is the um, the process by which his security clearance with the Atomic Energy Commission was revoked, which was sort of a sham proceeding. Then there is the confirmation uh, hearing of uh, Louis Strauss, who was uh, the head of the AEC, who essentially was um, the guy who screwed Oppenheimer uh, out of government circles. Then there was the building of the bomb, and then there was sort of his, um, his academic career prior to the Manhattan Project. And they, it, the movie kind of skips around a little bit between those four scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it Cillian Murphy is Oppenheimer. He's sensational. He's worked with Nolan before. Um, you know, he was in the, obviously he was in the Batman movies. Uh, and he was in, he was in. Um, he was in actually, Dunkirk. Was was I, that? Thought, I thought. Yeah, he was in Dunkirk. He was also in, um, in. Um, uh, with uh, the other uh, uh, Inception, Inception? Yeah. yeah, he was in Inception. So he's, yeah. I mean, you know, those two work really well. I, mean, I was an excellent choice for Oppenheimer, but the cast of this thing is just, you know, Matt Matt Damon as Leslie Groves uh, is not what you would expect Matt Damon to be at all. I mean, he he definitely rises above um, sort of typical Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a tribute to Nolan as a director. And it took me about halfway through the movie before I realized who Robert Downey was. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. Like, because he, he plays Louis Strauss, um, you know, who's, who's an old man, 
Ryan. And, you know, Downey actually is kind of old, but, uh, you know, it, he, he very seldom looks it in the movies. Right. That right. In. He definitely looks it now. I mean, like the guy looks like he's 70. Um, and, you know, I, and he's, he's excellent, excellent, excellent. I don't know that Robert Downey's been this good in a movie and he's a good actor, but like, this might be the best performance of his career. Emily Blount, uh, Blunt is fantastic. Um, as, uh, Oppenheimer's wife, um, her best work, she's not even speaking. It's facial expressions and, and kind of a body language um i thought she should have been oscar not maybe she was i don't pay attention to this stuff for her um uh movie with her husband um um although silent movie basically because the bad things were um oh you're talking about the um oh what is that what's the name of that thing quiet place, quiet, quiet quiet place. place. yeah was, i never actually saw that Oh my goodness! Oh, it's the yeah. Best. Now here, I hear it's good. It's I just... the best pro conservative pro family movie in okay. a decade. Okay. And for all of you who are watching here, you have to watch it. It's not about the monsters. She's she's uh kind of quietly, I think, one of us. I get that impression. Like she did that Amazon Prime uh, series. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but where she plays the English lady who is out West and did the whole thing. And she, she popped off this quote about how every time she reads a script and it says, you know, that the female lead or whatever is like a strong independent. Right. Right. She's like, I don't want to see that ever again. Cause every one of those characters is garbage. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, thank you. Right. Right. Um, which is, you know, you're not allowed to have actual conservative politics, but I get the impression that she's on the cultural conservative side. I think Hollywood. Christopher Nolan is like, if oh, you, he definitely is. If you look at his work. So like Dunkirk, I absolutely loved my son yeah. loved it more than me. Uh, the Dark Knight, you, but my, to my, for my money, the best movie that uh, he did was the prestige oh yeah prestige is terrific it's terrific interstellar it's too. i scarred yeah. my son with interstellar because he was like i don't know 11 12 and he likes space and sci-fi right um and i took him to interstellar and imax because i was like you're gonna love this because there's a huge picture you know like jupiter like takes up the whole screen the whole thing we mm -hmm. go He's completely, he, he didn't want to tell me at the time, but being separated from, you know, realizing that. Oh, yeah. Don't go, don't go. And being separated from her yeah. father. And and he was so upset by that. Well, I never, well, you know. I, honestly, I mean, it, it is a very upsetting movie from that standpoint. And it, yeah. to the extent where if you, um, you know, like everyone, oh, we're all fired up because we're going to go explore space and we're going to do these things or whatever. And, mm. you know, it's one thing to go to the moon. Right. But when you start thinking about going someplace further away than that, mm -hmm. realistically, right, you're going to get on that spaceship and you will never see your people again. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that, that that was the first sort of space travel movie that actually explored that fact in in anything other than sort of a passing fashion. Right. You know, and most of the time, science, space science fiction stuff is, you know, like they forget about the whole question of space and time. And it's just right. like, oh, we'll do warp speed and we'll be back mm -hmm. in three days and whatever. And it's like, okay, none of that is real. Okay. Like if yeah. you're going to explore the galaxy or something, then you will 100% never see your people again. Um, and, I, you know, this movie actually confronts that in a way that I thought was like super human. The only thing, a big flaw in Interstellar is, you know, it's like there's a blight going on on planet Earth that, um, that you know, the only thing that ha anybody has to eat is corn. Right. You know, and it's like, I, don't, I didn't think they really needed that, but I did think it was kind of cool the way, um, you know, the he explains sort of the space program is like a almost a rebel thing right like it's a private right um you know kind of underground thing that we're you know we're working on this science and then we're gonna you know we're gonna launch these rockets to try to you know get people to to someplace in space the premise of it i thought probably was a little shaky and needed work but the but the the filmmaking of that spaceship and that crew and like what they had to go through. And it's like, this is exactly what it would be like the minute we actually start putting people back in space. Right. And try to push the envelope of this. The most horrifying part for me was when the, um, they, they went down to the planet surface and it was right. 20 years later. Right. And and the um, poor guy up there alone, like, how did he not lose his mind? Um, I, yeah. I just don't know. Like, I was like, oh, you know, thinking about all of that, it kind of messes with your head. Yeah, um, no, I mean, it's like, and, you know, and Nolan is the guy to do these kinds of things because all of his movies, actually Oppenheimer, probably less so than anything else he's done. Like his movies will mess with your head. Like he, right. you know, and like the worst one he made was Tenet, which does nothing but mess with your head. And, you know, I like that one kind of offended me because it's like, no, I'm I'm here to be entertained. I'm not here to be confused and to the point that I feel stupid because I can't follow the plot of your movie. Right. right. Like, you know, that's not what I'm paying for. Right. The if I want to do puzzles, sloppy. I will do puzzles. This is a movie. It's not a puzzle. Right. The, the soundtrack on that thing was mismastered. So like in the theater, it was just a mess. So like, I remember it because, and it was like one of the few movies that came out during COVID, if you'll recall. Right. And right. so I, you know, cause I'm not afraid of no, and we sat in the theater by ourselves watching this movie. And I was just like, the soundtrack is off this entire thing. It was like somebody <laughs> never actually mastered the sound to the, the, you know, and match the visuals to the sound. And not just that, it was super, super quiet. I don't know if you recall. So you could oh, yeah, hear no, any of the dialogue. So like none of the dialogue you could hear. So in addition to a confusing kind of, and I don't like time travel movies just on the general principle, but right. you know, like the, because I think it doesn't work. It just is impossible. And so right. like watching this going back and forth and then not being able to hear the dialogue and get what they're actually 
pain. I was just like, ah. So to me, that's his worst movie. But um, so I, we shouldn't spoil no, anything. Is. But go see Oppenheimer's. What I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it, it is. Well, I mean, it does a great job with the history, at least mm -hmm. to the best of of my knowledge. Um, it doesn't present Oppenheimer as a communist as he was suspected of by you know some um but it does you know like he did things if he was not a communist and didn't want to be seen as one he did things that were not smart um he hung out with people who were communists mm -hmm. uh and you know some of that was you know the theoretical physics community in the 1930s and early 1940s right. was shot through with leftists and of course it was because you know, theoreticians will always think of something like communism as, oh, no, this is a great idea and it'll work out. It's like, yeah, because you're an idiot who's on a chalkboard all day and you don't know anything about human nature, right? Right. right. It's actually interesting because they delve into that a little bit where it's, you know, um, there's a dichotomy between the theory and the and practice. Um, and, and Oppenheimer kind of gets caught in the middle of that because he's a theoretician, but then he gets an executive responsibility to, to be the head of the Manhattan Project, which is nothing but applied physics rather than theoretical physics. Right, and he's right. got all the theoreticians sitting in Los Alamos coming up with stuff, and they're all like, well, there's a chance we might ignite the atmosphere if we set this thing off. Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, and, and Groves, just, you know, Matt Damon is like, what chance? Like, well, it's near zero. He's like, uh, like, well, what would you like? He says, zero is what I'd like. I would like zero. I don't want to like the atmosphere right. on fire. Um, so you, you get kind of a lot of these things that are thought provoking um, in it. So, and I think he hits a sweet spot um, between, you know, thought provoking and having something that's followable and the you know three hours that he gives that he has to do this movie um and this you know the special effects with the bomb and all this other stuff are, are great and um he does really neat stuff to sort of um illustrate the emotional toll that a lot of this was taken on Oppenheimer yeah um and and his and his wife and and some of the some of the other people it's it's very well done um I the don't think it's that best. that part of it seems good to me, considering all the people who seem to have no moral qualms whatsoever about nuclear war, like the way it, it's been so casually talked about. I think. It, well, it is. Yeah, this, you're right. You know, it is good that this. Movie. Yeah, this it is good that this movie is coming out now when we're just, you know, kind of doing the Doctor Strange love thing about. about Ukraine and oh yeah yeah it's okay you know it's no big deal if we get in a, a escalated fight with Russians and right oh okay so this movie comes out and and if it does give some people some pause about that then I think that that's a service um and maybe one that we really needed so well it's kind of like the death penalty which I'm for by the way precisely because of guys like in New York or New Jersey or wherever he's from killing uh, those girls. You know, just as an aside about that, you know, um, but to, to finish my thought, I think the death penalty and nuclear war, those kind of things, total war, should be things that we talk about. Uh, yeah. Changing bio, 
the changing biology with technology. These are things that we should be discussing. Like, I don't think that we should be like just flying into some of these ethical um, swamps, uh, you know, murky water without having some moral clarity about them. But, you know, we're mm -hmm. human and we just kind of barrel through everything. Well, and we're, we're, guy, we're... guy in the, the back to the death penalty and why I am for it in very specific cases is guys like this who allegedly rape, murder, and bury their victims. But my question is always about the people around these psychopaths. How does a wife not know that there's a, a soundproof room in the basement? How does a wife not realize that the basement walls are four feet thick of cement? How does how does the wife not realize that there's bodies buried in the backyard? I mean, they're they're starting to find bones in the backyard. Suddenly, a, the, a man with a sloppy house gets a a fit of energy and wants to do some yard work in the backyard. How does this happen? I'm really, really. I, and the the answer is she knew all about it. But she Do you was. Think so? Do you think? Oh, she she's terrified of this guy, and she's not going to say anything because she figured that she would be the next one that gets buried in the backyard. You know, you know, you're living with a serial killer. You probably don't make any sudden moves. Yeah. Like you're the person. You're the person most in danger of being chopped up and and uh, and buried. Yeah. So, you know, I like I look at her and I figure she's a hostage, which is not to say that I wouldn't charge she her as she worked and she worked and she traveled with her job. I mean, how could she not just scoop up her kids, travel to another part of the country well, and because the serial killer can travel too. Yeah. And he'll find you and rub you out because God knows me like She's going to leave him and he's like, oh, great. So now she's going to tell everybody about my stuff. Yeah. At that point, you know, I mean, at least if I'm the wife, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, right. I'm going to leave. And, you know, I I'm a problem that has to be solved. And we know how this guy solves his problems. So, you know, like I have a lot of sympathy for her. I'd charge her as an accessory. And then maybe I'd, you know, I'd plead her out if she tells freaking everything about this guy and, and right. um you know and and makes my case easy yeah because there's no evidence that she participated in any of this she just like knew about it i'm sure and freaking said nothing which is i think a survival mechanism more than anything else but what it means is you know you got leverage and if i'm the prosecutor that's what i would do yeah anyway she's, uh, she's lawyered up so well, she should be. Yeah. So uh, the whole thing. Um, although, I mean, on the good news, there's less of these guys running around. You know, right. we've talked about that before because of the laws and DNA and everything that these guys are going to are changing their ways because they were more likely to get caught, which is let you know that they have some ability to control their behavior. Well, you certainly can't have um, like a Ted Bundy type pattern if you're a serial killer, because yeah. they are going to that. That's all in a database, and they two or three of them, and they're going to match you up. Yeah. 
um, especially since they're going to compare DNA in any of these cases that where that fit any kind of pattern. So if you're a serial killer, you have to kill different people different ways if you're going to have any hope of like not getting caught. They just uh, caught today a guy who some like 60 years ago, he's 83 now, 40 years ago, something like that, killed a friend's daughter. He was a pastor at a church, completely. Oh, right. Yeah. Heard about that. I'm just like, you know, these guys, I, I just cannot believe it. But I hope they scoop every single one of these guys up. You know, there's a part of me is just like, I, I'm nervous about the DNA usage for sure. Right. On the other hand, the one satisfying thing is knowing that these families will finally at least have peace and have justice, you know. Well, this is this is the proper use of that stuff. Right. You know, the problem that we have is is a whole lot of improper use of of stuff. And, and you know, and I guess this is this is our segue into like the next topic, right, which is the improper use of resources and power um that is endemic in particularly American government. Um, and we can go one or two ways on this, uh, and I'll leave it up to you. Do you okay. want to talk about the border or do you want to talk about uh, the investigations and uh, the family issues going on with the Bidens? Because they both relate to, to that exact segue subject. Well, they're both kind of the same thing, aren't they? I mean, A because little. Biden is the, the key here where he and his administration are completely lawless, no yep. matter where you look. And then personally, he's above the law and he's being uh, protected by government agencies. Even the IRS, who everybody universally hates, was trying to do the right thing and mm -hmm. was shut down looking into the Bidens. And, right. and, and there were FBI agents who, yes. I mean, I like had it, look, we've got all of this stuff. We know that the laptop is real. We know that there, that, you know, that there were bribes involved with Burisma and, and Ukraine. Like the FBI had presented all that stuff to this guy Weiss. Right. It was all, wrapped up in a bow it was an open shut case and you look at the at the work that the doj has done on hunter biden and it is but the, the thing worst is, case of malpractice or mispractice that you've ever seen but it wasn't weiss's assistant in the delaware office it, 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 he's with hunter he's buddies with him right but the thing is wasn't this in the delaware office that all this happened Yes. Okay. So the, if I'm reading and correct me, if I'm wrong, when I was looking into this today, the, um, a guy who was helped with the transition of the Biden administration into the white house on the campaign on Bo Biden's, uh, campaign when he was still alive, um, worked in all of these and he is now in the office delaware office um working on behalf of the bidens is that i mean yeah. or yeah that seems to be the case so in other words you basically have a defense counsel on the prosecution's team right and so like that's that's what this amounts to 
Right. And the, the, so this kind of corruption and then like the, the, the irony that I cannot like. So when Trump called over to Ukraine and said, wait a minute, we're, you know, can you look into this? He was talking exactly about the corruption that everybody knew about. And he got yes. impeached for yes. trying to expose corruption. Right. So Trump, his what was that, his second impeachment or whatever? No, no, it was the first one. It was the first. It, it's completely utter. It, it's so evil. Well, it's you it's, almost look, couldn't make it up because they're they're using the impeachment process for a cover up. Well, yes. And and Melissa, here's the thing. We knew this was true from the very beginning. Well, okay? we did. No, but, I, 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 but I you know, the guys at the bulwark were very confused. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, right. even amongst the right, nobody wanted to admit what was obviously true was true. Well, but, you know, and but this is the thing, OK? There was that video of Joe Biden. At, what is it? The Council of Foreign Relations? Yeah. Bragging. Oh, son mm -hmm. of a bitch. They fired the prosecutor, right? Mm hmm. Or else they're not getting their billion dollars worth of aid. Get their, you know, we'll get, you're not getting the billion dollars, you got to fire Shokin, all right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when that, came, when that video came out, okay, and it was, um, and this was before anybody knew that Hunter was on the board of Burisma or, mm -hmm. or the, the general public didn't know it at the time, I should mm -hmm. say, because people on the inside already knew. Um, and he's not alone, by the way. I just want to remind everybody here, John Kerry had a kid over there. Uh, Mitt Romney had uh, his like chief of staff was on the board of Burisma. Yep. Every single one of the oh, yeah. evil was... DC doers had right. someone, family or friend on this board. It's a money laundering operation. Of course which it I is. said from the beginning, way to give aid and that money comes right back through um to american lawmakers which is how they uh yeah. go from being poor when they get into office or right. kind of rich and go to phenomenally wealthy yeah well anyway. you know the, the the former bartender who's now worth 30 million dollars right which is AOC, right so yeah. um yeah well but anyway the, this is and this is the thing that strikes me seeing kind of how all of this has been proven out essentially in these these house hearings with all of the whistleblower stuff and the, the FBI documents that have made their way into the public domain is Joe Biden, first of all, is one of the stupidest people ever to achieve high office in America. Like, and that that sounds like a pejorative, but it's 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 actually true, because for him to be in front of that camera and all of those people at the at CFR, and to make that boast about how he got the prosecutor fired, yeah, okay, is that is one of the most blatantly unwise, dumbass things that you could ever imagine, and you just have to stop and say, well, like, why would anybody want to do that, right? And then the other thing about Joe Biden is this guy is a hopeless braggart. He, 
he had to talk about how he got that guy fired because he was so pumped up about the fact that he had made $10 million with that phone call mm -hmm. or that, that, that threat that he made. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was the most amount, this was the largest amount of money that Joe Biden had made in one fell swoop in his whole life. They shook these people down for $10 million. And the guy said, I need this guy Shokin fired so that he can't expose this whole thing. Mm -hmm. He says, okay. And so he goes and does that. And he could not wait to tell the world what he had done. Mm -hmm. He didn't say why he did it, but he was at least smart enough to say, and they paid me $10 million for that. He was at least smart enough not mm -hmm. to say that, but he couldn't keep his mouth shut about this. Um, and, and what is so amazing is that the Democrat party and its establishment and the Obama machine that runs the Democrat party went with him anyway, right? I mean, and I think part of it is, is they knew, well, we, we got this guy over a barrel, right? Like he's a great puppet for us because he right. is so compromised. That's the reason. Yeah, and that's why they wanted Clinton too. And that's why the neocons on the right wanted Clinton over Trump too, because they yeah. want a sure thing. I, I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading some years back about how the best kind of politician is the politician that you can buy. You don't want someone you can't buy because then they're not gonna do what you want. And right. so, you know- well, there's, a, a, there's a long train of that. I mean, it's the reason why Saddam Hussein, when he took power in, in Iraq, made sure that all of his people had blood on their hands. Right. Right, you've got to kill somebody in the op from the opposition. Like, mm -hmm. here's the gun, shoot this guy in the head. And then everybody knows that you did it so that you're, you're not morally superior to Saddam. Like that is a- that, I mean, that like that's a that's a power thing. Like you have to lock people into your machine and the Democrats are, I mean, the, right now in the world, even more so perhaps than the Chinese Communist Party. That's what these people are. Everybody's on the take. Everybody's compromised. OK, yeah. that I, I mean, you know, I don't want to drag this into the realm of the Epstein thing or whatever, but. There's a very seriously demonstrative element of, you know, um, you sins that do not speak their name involved right. in the Democrats, right? right? We'll never see the Epstein flight log list, right? right? We'll never see it because, and we already know that when we do see it, we're going to recognize lots of names on it, okay? Well, we've and, seen some of the lists. and the well, we've seen some of it. But yeah, I mean, but you know, there there are people on that thing that we know. And I mean, you know, they like they had to make a big thing about Q. They made a big thing about Q because they knew that they had exposure along those lines. Right. Mm -hmm. They knew that it was obvious mm -hmm. you have all like, you know, when you see Ed Buck, who is the big pedo that actually uh, made a bunch of his tricks OD at his house mm -hmm. and they kept carting away dead bodies from this guy's okay. house over and over again. And he's mobbed up with every single politician in California. Right. Right. So finally the guy was so freaking like, you know, uh, toxic. Messy. Okay, now he's just messy. Go. That's the problem. They had to clean up a mess. This is the problem with Hunter Biden. And speaking of, uh, we have found a um, dead cook at Obama. Ah, that... There's another great segue, right? Mm -hmm. We have found Frito, 
<laughs> in the in the pond out back of you know Casa Obama, and right. uh, so I don't know what Frito did, but he was sleeping with the fishes. And as yeah. you said, as said before, we got on. Um, he, it wasn't that he was paddleboarding. Oopsie, fell into the water. He had blunt force trauma before he was in the water. On his head. On his head. On his head. So unless Which he... it's kind of hard to get that if you're going to drown paddleboarding. <laughs> right. You probably don't get blunt force trauma falling down on the paddleboard. Right. I guess it's possible, but probably not. <laughs> so... so it's like, here's a paddleboard and here's your body. And we're going to throw them in the pond. Mm -hmm. And... You know, maybe they'll think you drowned, but well, I'm kind of nobody's going to believe that. The most scandal-free administration, Obama's, spawned the most scandalous uh, um, administration with Biden, and now there's dead people. You know, the thing is, is that like it's so in your face and obvious and right. obnoxiously heinous, and right. then we and that we're supposed to all pretend this is not that our eyes are not seeing what we're seeing oh well it feels so late roman empire you know what i mean yeah. just like the the obvious i mean there's you know it's there's total lawlessness there's total corruption the venality of the people that are in charge is just off the charts yeah and you know the average the average citizen like couldn't imagine living their lives in in you know with this sort of of um you know lack of any moral compass at all and and the people with power are just you know like they're unmoored from any sense of of consequence that you know if you do these things bad things will happen to you and it's like right. eh, so like good. they so won't because i'm willing to do what it takes to ensure that those consequences don't happen to me um you know, the thing is, is the average person, what is it, more than $400 on the Venmo, walk through the White House escorted by police, or not White House, but um, Congress, and, you know, the House of Representatives, stand, you know, walk between the stanchions, take a couple pictures, walk out, jail for you. Oh, yeah. That's right. And meanwhile, you can rape. Uh, you know, there's pictures. Uh, the thing that's been blowing my mind is there's pictures of Hunter with underage girls naked. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's clear pedophilia. And, well, and we knew this. We knew this three years ago when the right, and he's first came walking out. around. He's walking around free. Like mm -hmm. it, it's so you watch this kind of utter corrupt and then corrupting the the whole body politics so we've got how much of the um biden administration how much more do we not know that the foreign powers do know that are holding over their head so china can send their spy balloons over america the mm -hmm. cartels can get uh, are bringing over children to keep Democrats in the manner they're accustomed to. Okay, I'll, let, let, me, let me interject something because yeah. I, I wanna make this point. So um, we already know that we're getting policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis China that can only be explained by the contributions made 
in these business deals because they're clearly not in America's interest and they're clearly not politically pop popular. And we could probably do an entire podcast on all the different things yeah. involving China that that surround that. So I don't want to get bogged down with that. We know for okay, a fact. How much money is coming into Jennifer Granholm to get us to get rid of everything but electricity? I mean, like, I really seriously wonder, I'm like, do they want the American people completely helpless? So well, like, and, you know, and, gas, I was thinking about gas generators in Texas alone. Do you know what would happen in Texas? Well, look, you know, I mean, it's hot as hell here in Louisiana and we're ground, you know, like ground, uh, uh, ground zero for hurricanes practically we're going to get massive hurricanes through here in a couple months i mean we like you can pretty much guarantee that and guess what the only way when the power goes out and it's going to be out for a couple of weeks while they try to fix up all the power lines that got knocked down by the hurricane you need a gas generator and these right. idiots are going to free oh no you can't have that and it's like okay fine but but that's not even to me, that's not even, and I said we weren't going to get into all of the different policy things that benefit China, but this is an example if you're like, ah, you guys are just saying, no, they're after all of the stuff, the water heaters and the and the gas stoves and all of these different things, and you can't have gas. They actually work. Anything right. that actually works. Right. But they're, they're going to make it so you can't do all the stuff. So now everything's got to be electric. And now you're going to have to, for, you know, for, for whether it's a new home or anything else, now you're going to have to buy all new um, uh, all new uh, appliances, appliances, things like that. And where are those going to come from? Who makes all that stuff? Because you don't make it in America anymore. It's right. all made in China. So you're going to sit here and tell me that these people bribed the Bidens and paid all this money, and they're getting these ridiculous policies that nobody in America wants. Right. Okay? And, and these guys are like, Full speed ahead, pushing this garbage. All right. Now, I'll, explain to me how I'm not supposed to see that as a function of the money that the Chinese bribe the Bidens with, right? That this right, is this right. is the payoff of that. But getting back to why I interrupted you just now. Okay. We know about Ukraine. We know about China. Okay. Look at that border, and look at the freaking policies. And you want to tell me that either Hunter Biden or Jim Biden, the brother, who we really haven't paid that much attention to his business dealings. I mean, this is a guy who used to own like nightclubs and not sure if one of them won a strip bar or whatever. OK, and then all of a sudden he's doing a whole bunch of international business. Right. Mm -hmm. One of these two guys. OK, eventually, I just about guarantee you we're going to find out that they were doing business with cutouts for the Mexican drug cartels. Yep. And the payoff has to be that that border is wide ass open, okay? That they literally are getting people through the ports of entry. Oh, yeah, okay, here's unaccompanied kids. Well, we got to turn these kids loose to somebody. Oh, I think this is a relative. And we've already, there's already been documentation that they're giving these kids to, to human traffickers, right. right? There's no way, no way that the federal government would be doing that if it wasn't coming from the top because the sooner or later we're going to get whistleblowers from ice and customs and all these other you know federal agencies saying yeah you know what what we had to do over here was all bullshit none of us wanted to do it and they told us from the top this is how it's going to be done 
So don't tell me for a second that this is the entire federal bureaucracy that wants to do this. This is driven from the top. Okay, and the only way to explain why it would ever be done, because politically, this is an utter disaster if it ever got out. Okay, is that somebody got paid? It's the only way to, right. to explain any of this stuff. And just like I think many somebodies have gotten paid, which probably so. You know, but I think particularly the, at the top, they got paid. Right. Because well, the otherwise, the people at the top would shut it down. The Bidens, though, in particular, are they're trashy. They're not sophisticated. They're not they're right. not uh, Mitt Romney sloppy. and they're, they're sloppy. sloppy. I mean, it's sloppy, like, sloppy. just do it. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, right. if you were going to take bribes from China and Ukraine, OK, you don't do a straight influence peddling scheme. You start a business and you sell things. Right. right? And then they buy those things. What are you talking about? Hunter made art. <laughs> well, that's the new, that's like, now that this is out, you know, and, and people know what's going on. Yeah, you make art because you need some medium of exchange money. that you can that you can offer up. But the, the point of this is you should have had the medium of exchange back in 2013 when you were setting all this crap up. Right. Right. And then it's like, no, 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 we invented a whatever, or we invested in this thing that these other guys did, and we got investors from China that built the deal or whatever, and we made all this money off of it. And then, yeah, you know, the business didn't do that well, but we made out, right? Mm -hmm. And then we would look at it and go, yeah, right? But at least it wouldn't be wide ass open like it is, right? This is straight up bribery. I mean, there's no question what, what happened here. And they've never really come up with a plausible cover story for how they got the money they're just like well we didn't right. do anything it's like no no no. we know you did and we know you got paid and we know that all of these kids in your family got paid right. and they clearly didn't do anything so well, where did the money you... come from and why was it paid and it's like and it's like no you have to answer this question like this is this is such an insult to the american people that this we know that this is true Okay, and you didn't even have a you didn't even have a cock and bull story that you can you know well, well it was because of this and we don't even believe that but at least you made an effort and it's like nah we're not even gonna bother right they paid us well they didn't pay us no we know they paid you nah, it's all of that is nothing and oh by the way this is you know disinformation and we're gonna send the spokes lesbian out there to deny everything call the White House Counsel's office because they have it. Well, what does the, the White House Counsel's office? say i think things are crumbling internally right. because ashley biden is traveling with jill and they've been having they've been they you know, have to i i think they're keeping hunter and ashley you know in the white house compound somewhere cloistered keeping them away from the media keeping them away from potentially being arrested, keeping them well, away from case, they're and... keeping them away from process servers in his paternity case over the grandchild that they won't acknowledge. That's right. literally the reason he lives in the White House now. Yeah, it, it's just it's just an un, unending thing. And then we have what's going on along the border, which is um, I got to give credit to Greg Abbott. They've been yeah. plugging away and and the migrants are getting the message and moving on down the Rio Grande and coming across more in Arizona, it looks like right now. And, um, but they're starting to be, um, 
problems between the Texas folks and the federal folks and big time. big time. And this was kind of inevitable. You know, the the federal guys, the federales would come along and cut, you know, openings through the Texas blockade and let right. people through. Right. And it's like, what? Right. And so uh, um, it, it's just. Well, they were building walls. If I have this right, they were building walls on land on the American side of the Rio Grande. Mm -hmm. And now they've just put like river barriers in the middle of the Rio yeah. Grande, yeah. like at the physical border and there's i guess there's razor wire underneath the uh the buoys i don't i haven't looked like, at like you can't you know oh let's just swim across it and then we'll kind of climb over the like you do that and you're going to tear yourself up and so they can't do it and this is why kamala harris fresh off her slander of ron DeSantis over yeah. the florida um uh, black history standards, which are, I mean, it's like there's one sentence in one module of a 216 page uh, textbook, essentially, mm -hmm. that that said, you know, look, some of the, you know, some of the slaves acquired skills that could be beneficial, um, uh, you know, personally, which is like true, right? Like, you know, I mean, there's tons of examples, and I'm not here to defend slavery but there's tons of examples of you know guys a slave they teach him how to be a blacksmith the you know people next door hey i hear you have a good blacksmith we'll pay him to do some stuff with you. so he gets farmed out and maybe he keeps some cash and then eventually either he gets you know he gets free or after the civil war he becomes free and he's a blacksmith and that probably helped him out right that he had a marketable skill like the whole point is, is that there was some social mobility even during slavery, and there was some individual achievement even during slavery, and there was some philanthropy even during slavery, which is an accurate picture of how a human society works, right? Oh, no, no we don't want anybody to say that. So now they've got to talk about Ron DeSantis's pro-slavery, which is what Kamala Harris does. So that's her thing, right? She comes from that to Greg Abbott and his river barriers that are meant to keep the drug cartels from being able to create sex slaves in the United States when they traffic these people across the border, all right? right. And what does she say? Oh, this is a human rights violation and you can't do this. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the border czar. You've been the border czar for three years. And like, like Abbott said uh, earlier, recording this Tuesday, he said it earlier today. So this is the first time she's ever talked about the border. In three years as the border czar, this being upset that somebody actually enforces the border is the first thing that she has said about the border. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, between she and boom. Mayorkas, who also has to be being paid off. If they're, I mean, talk about cartoon villain. Mayorkas is it. And then, but if you'll notice- He's when right he, out of a Frank Miller movie. Yes, when he gets up there and comes before the different house panels and whatever and it's getting high-fived by the republicans this tells you that this is a bipartisan deal right. so like the well not all the republicans though not all of them you know ted cruz is notably um very against all this stuff john cornyn typically quieter such a little church mouse john cornyn 
But the thing is, is that this is um, affecting the people in certain states and state govern governments. I have to laugh because, you know, all these sanctuary city types, they're getting a tiny, tiny fraction of what we're having to deal with here in Texas, right. a tiny fraction. And they're having a hard time in New York coming up with housing. And in Massachusetts, they're asking people to open up their homes. I'm like, are you kidding me? You'd be opening up your home to who knows who. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is um, this is not a game. The border problem is not a game. And these people are not coming for asylum. They're coming from uh, relatively st stable South American countries, except for Venezuela, except for like Cuba, where things have been problems, but otherwise, where places where they could live and work, but they've been told the border is open, they've told the streets are paved with gold, and they've been told that, that they'll be fine, and now they're living on the streets of America, when they could have still been living and working at home in the house that they had. Right. This and is, thanks to Biden's inflation, it costs a whole hell of a lot more right. here. So they're even poorer than they were back. They're home. poorer than they were at home. It is just an absolute debacle. And, and it's obscene. Mm -hmm. and again, we have another movie, uh, The Sound of Freedom, which crested the 125 million last week, yeah. um, exposing all of this and taking the making the reality plain. And people are watching it. So, yeah. you know, we talked about one of the um, the Hollywood strike a little bit um, before we got on camera and how they're making basically the actors and writers are misunderstanding what's happening. I just, before you had talked about it, had read an article about how Netflix is um, not really making money. Not making money at all. What they do, they Netflix made... is the one that's got the best bottom line of all of the streaming services out there. Right. So their costs are about twenty billion a year. They're they're making four point three billion, but that's because they're um, dividing out their costs forward. You know, for current and projecting it. And so they're actually going behind every year. It's unsustainable. And I've wondered how they're doing anything. Well, they're not, they're, they're not making money. And we, but actors um, and artists in general, and I get it, I, I'm not casting dispersions here. Uh, I understand their trouble, but don't understand a balance sheet. And so they sit there and think that they're being robbed when they're lucky to be being paid at all for anything. <laughs> and, um, you know, and when it all comes out, they may not want to know what the bottom line actually is because the business isn't there. Not really. Um, okay, so I'm going to read this. Uh, this is from the comedian Andrew Schultz, uh, okay. who um, did a, a quick thread on Twitter uh, that, you know, might blow your mind if you're thinking about this. Uh, so this is what he says. It says, thoughts on the Hollywood strike. Uh, one, the real issue is that actors and writers want fair residual payments from the streamers. In order to define what is fair, the streamers will need to share how many people are actually watching their shows. And here lies the problem. Mm -hmm. Two, my suspicion is that the streamers are refusing to share their viewership its uh, numbers, not because they're being cheap, but because no one is watching and revealing extremely low viewership would kill the stock price. 
So three, if most of these streamers are losing money in an effort to gain market share, the only justification for their spending is their stock price being high. Once that stock price tanks with the real viewership numbers, the streamers will have to cut back on spending, which means four, way less shows will be greenlit and the budgets for those shows will be severely reduced, which means way less acting gigs and writing gigs. So essentially, five, if the actors and directors strike is successful by making the streamers release their real viewership, the strike will essentially force the streamers to hire less actors and directors. So they're striking themselves out of work, right? That's about right. I mean, that that's... that's... I, I mean, I don't know for a fact that that's true. Oh, but, but don't you, doesn't that Deductively, sound... I don't yeah. know how it's any other way. Right. Um, you know, and, and I mean, because like Disney Plus has lost $10 billion since it uh, came on the market. You know, Paramount Plus is like, Paramount Plus is losing a fortune as well. And they have done, Paramount Plus's catalog is like thin, thin, thin. And it didn't used to be that thin. Like they, they have taken things out of their catalog that were their original shows and just put them on the shelf and nobody can watch them. Um, you know, and like, I, I don't, I know less about Hulu and Peacock and some of these other ones, but you know, they're not successful. Um, so streaming is like a problem because right. it's the new wave, but nobody has figured out how to properly monetize it yet. Um, well, what it's going to come down to, and it, it, it's going to be a backdoor to what, um, Angel Studios is doing, which people are going to pay for, which I always thought let people put their money where their mouth is even online. Let me yeah. pick certain things that I want to buy. So say for there's a couple ways you could do this, but say you pay 20 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or whatever for a streaming service, like, and then you just pick, you get for that much 10 shows that you can pick or whatever it is right. um, for that amount of money, which was essentially how Netflix started out. You know, you pay a certain amount a month and you could go rent however many CDs you wanted and, and, and then that was that. And then people, and then you have data, right? Then you have exact data of what people want. And, right. But if you, if you put that kind of pay for friction in there, all of a sudden it's going to be really clear what people actually want. And it's not anything that Hollywood is producing. Well, and so okay. something like Top Gun is going to do great. Cause like I've watched it, I think twice since it's been on Amazon prime, you know, or, um, you know, with my kids and whatever. So like, there's certain things where you're like, you'll watch it more and it will do really well. And then there's certain things like Barbie, I'm going to wait till it's streaming. Cause I don't care. Um, but there, yeah. there's certain things that like, you're like, oh, I want to go to the, the theater for, but it's gotta be great. Right. Like it's gotta be like something special. So I'll right. go see Oppenheimer in the theater because that's really the oh, way. I'll go see, go see it in IMAX. Yes, but and I'll see it in I IMAX and I'll see Dune in IMAX and I'll do that. And then if it's really great, I'll go back again. Um, but I'm with the way costs are and with prices, you have to be choosy. Yeah. And, and here's another thing too, like I've been thinking about what we talked about before as far as like Disney doing so terrible and also 
the Disney um, parks not doing well. One is COVID like disrupted so much. It disrupted education. It yep. disrupted entertainment and it disrupted um, leisure. And so like, I have to tell you, I took a road trip, like an old fashioned road trip with my kids during COVID and it was wonderful. And I think people like the national parks are just blowing up with visitors. And one of the things that COVID did was like, well, if I have time to spend in this manufactured place, that's probably woke and just full of crap, or I can go out and get into nature and walk around and, you know, hike up a mountain or see a beautiful lake and hear birds sing. People are clamoring to do that, which I think is a great thing ultimately, but people sure. are being a lot more choosier about what their media and how they spend their leisure time. And frankly, what Hollywood has been producing has been an insult to the viewer and, um, and has been so dumbed down and boring. And I also think there's another factor that when you have a whole catalog, like you have going back to the fifties, and I've noticed this with my kids with music, um, they can listen to what, what's great or what they perceive as great. Yeah. And that might not be any modern musician. So, and it is some right. modern musicians, right. but, but they're not going to be the thing like Michael Jackson was the thing. Right. Um, my kids can listen to Michael Jackson. They can listen before auto-tune and hear really great singers. They can well, and it, pick and choose. It's There's definitely that because like for example in the 1960s um rock and roll was new and so if you were the beatles or the stones or you know whoever else um your competition was the other contemporary acts that were out there right now your competition is still all of those people if you're trying to sell you know downloads now it's not really records but like mm -hmm. so there's this entire archive of you know whether it's rock music or r&b or country music or whatever um there's an entire catalog going back well more than half a century that where the the recordings are mm -hmm. as good as you can put it out put out there and i mean like you know, radio stations will play that stuff as often as they'll play your stuff. And so it's much harder really to break into yeah. the public consciousness. Like for example, earlier today, I was listening to um, this brand new album just a few days out um, that Greta Van Fleet put out, which is, um, we talked about them like in one of our very first podcasts. It's, it's just, you know, bunch of millennials but they sound pretty much like led zeppelin mm. and the latest album is like it's very much something that led zeppelin could have put out mm -hmm. um you know and like i'm listening to it, it's great and i'm like okay so these guys are gonna have a um you know they're gonna have an audience that is a lot smaller than led zeppelin's audience was yeah. um and it's you know it's gonna be a lot of people who really like hard blues music, which I love hard blues. It's like my favorite thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, but 
there's a million other things out there. And oh, by the way, there's tons of people like, I don't care about these guys. I'd rather listen, just listen to Zeppelin. And it's like, well, and Zeppelin put out a whole lot of songs that you could listen to over and over and over again. Right. So like, you know, how do these guys get to the point where they're this massive commercial success and fill up a stadium, you know, to, to on, when they go on right. tour? And the answer is they can't. Right. Like they can they'll play venues, you know, two or three thousand people and they'll probably rock the house, you know, break, you know, burn the house down. Um, and they're really good. I mean, like these guys are legitimately good and they deserve to be like a big arena rock mm-hmm. band or whatever. But how do you build that? Right. Because the people like you're going to unless somebody comes up with a new form of music, which uh, I hesitate to even think what that might be based on the directions that some of these people have gone in in that business. Like, unless you come up with a new form of music, I mean, you're kind of, you're, you're basically competing against ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's a lot harder, you know, and of course the, the way you do that, okay, well, let's come up with something new. And it's like, well, okay. But like the, the forms of music that are quote unquote new is shit like bounce music, which is the worst thing ever and it's like okay so new forms of music which are worse than the previous forms of music um you know and that's i think that's true in hollywood like one of the things that that's driving the strike as well is ai because the technology is now there that like basically you can through very complicated ai prompt you can get ai to make you a movie like, hey, I want Casablanca, re, you know, redone, and I want Bruce Willis to play hum- Humphrey Bogart's role, right? And I want Margot Robbie to play, um, what's her name's role? Um, is it Audrey Hepburn that yeah. was in Casablanca? Right. You know, what, it's like, it's not the same thing, but AI can produce it, right? And And within five or 10 years, you will literally be able to customize movies, and say, hey, I want to watch a movie that you know stars these people, and it's based off of this movie that I that, that I saw. Except I want the ending to be thus and so, and like AI can produce that. Uh, well, I think the bigger so- challenge too with for the actors, and it's already being done. So, like for example, there's a guy who looks like Tom Cruise, and he has videos, and he can AI himself into almost anything. So if they can get the likeness say and the voice um um J.I. can synthesize the voice signature they can get the you know with enough phrases or whatever and the yeah. facial stuff they can age you up and age you down Correct. or or and more likely so you know tom cruise in his heyday everybody loves tom cruise they can do a movie without tom cruise after he's died using his likeness yeah. And um, know that it's going to be a hit and make him do stunts that he's, you know, like. Yeah, hadn't been able to do for 30 years. Right. Right. So, like, um, you know, yeah. that's the biggest challenge for them because then, you know, N- Nicole Kidman has worked so hard to keep her face plastic and unmoving for all these years. Um, well, that won't be necessary because they have pictures of her when she was younger and they just use 
that on they could even film with a complete body double who has her body dimensions if they wanted to. Well, they're going to get to the point where they're not even filming. Right. Like, that's the whole point. I mean, this is, you know, like you look at what they're doing with video games. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that none of that's not filming. That's, you know, they put you in one of these suits where the, you know, right. the different points of your body so they can, you know, right. gauge the movement and, and, you know, and they scan your face to get facial expressions and all this kind of stuff. So like, in other words, you go into 10 years from now, you go into a, um, you know, like your agent and they scan you. And then your agent kind of puts you out there that they could book you in all of these different things. And you don't actually go on a set and act. Right. Like you don't actually do that. Or maybe you do, but where you're really going to make money because they're going to pay you basically pennies on the dollar is if you get enough of a sort of name, image, and likeness going that makes you uh, marketable, mm-hmm. somebody will say, you know, they'll go to whatever the next generation of the streaming services uh, might be. And they'll say, okay, so um, I want to cast Jonathan Rumi as, um, you know, Liam Neeson and Taken, right? <laughs> right. And, okay. you know, and say, okay, you do this on Monday, by Friday, it'll be ready. And you can download it mm-hmm. and watch it on TV. And or somebody's already done it and it's already available and you can download immediately. But like you can customize the entire thing. And like as an actor, you just get paid based on the number of downloads that they, of things that you're in. Right, right. Like, um, which yeah. if you're an established actor is probably awesome because you don't really ever have to do any work. You don't have to live in Hollywood. You don't have to do, you know, I mean, like it's, this Maybe, is all. But this is what they want. I mean, this is their profession. Well, no, well. So but is if everybody going to go back to stage? You well, know, the problem like, is, it's really? like, if you're not a star, how do you break into the business? Because once again, you're like just mm-hmm. the, the Greta Van Fleet problem, right? Because, okay, yeah, they have Tom Cruise. They also have Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. They also have John Wayne. So you're now competing against every actor that's been in a in a movie mm-hmm. for a hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I want Douglas Fairbanks to star in uh, The Edge of Tomorrow and have him fight aliens instead of pirates. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that you know, we we have the technology we can do that. And it's like, wouldn't that be awesome, right? Well, you know I what's want- happening right now that is happening right now. I just read an article about it and it kind of amused me. And this started off in Japan as all insane things do um, the, in the tech world. Basically these middle-aged men are creating these AI models for OnlyFans and making money as a pretend person. And so like this, there's an OnlyFans uh, fake woman um mad imagine a more vava voom christy brinkley circa you know 1981 when she's you know 18 or something right this beautiful blonde girl and so she's got a hundred thousand followers and it, people are paying well one of the it's problems totally ai generated porn is that it it's not porn exactly uh, it's it's using she's just modeling things she's modeling things but she looks real 
So like, here I am in front of the Statue of Liberty. Here I am here. Well, now people are asking, you know, sending DMs and saying, hey, for, you know, however many much money, can I see your feet <laughs> or whatever the thing is, wanting to see you're naked. And the person generating this AI person is like, I'm not sure what to do, <laughs> you know, as far as like how to go about this and should they do this? And it's just like, yeah. We well, I mean, there, to certain, there's a certain element of it's 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 like an artist commission. Is I mean, you know, not not to do too much defense of this because ethically, I think it's it's suspect. But you know, you commission an artist to paint a painting of X, mm -hmm. and they do it right, and you get paid, uh, right. or they get paid. I mean. Right. There's a certain element of, the, of this is, you know, look, if you work with AI and you know how to generate things that are pleasing or beautiful or meaningful or whatever, then, you know, that it's a form of art. Um, you know, because the yeah. thing about AI, it's like you've said this, it's not actually artificial intelligence. It's, no. it's, it's, it's prompt driven. Somebody has to actually create it. Right. Um, and it's only a function of how good the prompt is. Well, right. somebody has to put that through a prompt. Right. Um, you know, now the issue is, is that you're going to get to the point with AI where the consumer will be the one dictating this stuff because there will be apps that will generate the AI prompts to a very specific level. Um, and, you know, there's that. Um, well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but on your cell phone right now, like on your Apple phone and the latest update for your iPhone, you can, and it's in the, the kind of the disabled type of prompts, you can go in, record your voice. They have the different prompts to record your voice, record your voice, record your voice. And then you um, can uh, overnight the AI works creates a voice print of you and you can basically in your own voice say um have pre uh designed responses <laughs> to people in your voice and you don't have to do anything <laughs> just like like except for choose the response you want and then it'll say to the person, I'm sorry, I can't meet right now because I'm in the middle of a meeting or whatever it is that you want to say. And it's already done. And all you go, boop, and it's done. And you don't have to say it. And it'll, and it, but it'll work for anything, right. like anything you want to say, because they have done enough of an analysis of your voice to do that. Anybody watching our video? listening auditorily can do take a voice print of us and do the same thing sure well i mean that's you know you're I mean, that's all that not that i know anybody who'd want to right exactly <laughs> but, I, I mean you know look sure. this is this is deep fake stuff right i mean it's the yeah. same it's the same technological thing it's the same ethical issues it's the same mm -hmm. you know processes that you would go through um it's maybe a, a less a malignant form of this, but at the same time, you know, you go through all the trouble to have uh, AI create, you know, your voice giving programmed responses. And the idea that you think this would save you effort as opposed to just talking to another human being 
doesn't say great things about who we are as people anymore. Right. Is that's, that's come not awesome, you know? All I'm going to do is push a, a button and my hologram will be interacting with everybody. And I can be what? the complete hermit that I want to be. What was that movie? Um, it was Blade Bruce Runner? Willis and uh, Rosamund Pike. Hmm. And it, it was this wasn't really an AI thing, but it was about how people had sort of robot familiars that were like doing yeah. all of their stuff. Do you remember this yeah. movie? I can't remember no. the name of it. And you know, like your robot familiar is like physically the best version of you. Oh, wow. And you basically sit in sort of a virtual reality chamber mm -hmm. and you control your robot body. So like your robot body goes to work and it does all these different things. And some of it, you know, they can do it without you actually controlling it, right? Because the AI works. And so, you know, like you do whatever. And so people sit in their houses and play video games all day and they do all this different stuff. Um, and of course, you know, in the movie, it all goes wrong as it should and has to. Right. I wish I could remember the name of this thing, but it was, it was just like that. It's like, here's a way that you could be a bump on a freaking log and be <laughs> a, a, an absolutely worthless shitty human and get away with it because we're going to use technology to cover all of the, the sloth mm -hmm. and and right. this, you know uh Listen, that you're guilty of an ai robot to clean my house i will be i'm on board although i don't tr trust the room but so far i haven't trusted any robots so like that that's the thing and i don't like like the nest or any yeah, automated Roomba is fine until you have a pet that poops on the floor Ooh, and then wow. the is not fine <laughs> <laughs> okay for all then that's when the, that the Roomba makes things to the wise yeah uh, um, well i mean you know it's it's funny you mentioned Roomba. my neighbor has and he got he got two of them these these uh um robot uh lawnmowers oh yeah who just you know they just kind of roam around the lawn just cutting the grass right um and it's you know of course when he when he first got them and he started putting them out and i walked my dog past his lawn and i mean bingle freaked out had no idea what this was and yeah. for like two weeks right. every time he saw these things it was you know one of these uh -huh. <laughs> and i'm like bingle you know calm down he's no, it's a demon. Look, it's a demon. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well. Have you seen those videos of the like the Boston Robotics putting the those robots in with wild animals at the zoo? No, I've heard about it, but I never actually watched. Yes, them. I've yes, I've watched them, and it, it's fascinating because even the top like predators, like the lions, um, the other, they know that something isn't right. And they're all instantly afraid of them and uh, and like try to get away. I think there was one big cat and it might have been a cheetah or something else who tried to like smack it. And I think once they got used to it, the things wouldn't have the chance because they'd kill it. But the um, they definitely viewed it with uh, they were frightened of it and didn't want to be near it. There's something uncanny about it, even to animals that they just don't. They well, don't what, what'll be interesting is if they ever put like a skin on that thing. 
that looks like a cheetah or a lion or whatever, and then drop it in there and see what they do, right? They're going to know it's not a lion, right? right. They're going right. to know that instantly. It won't smell like a lion or any of that right. kind of stuff. Right. But it'd be interesting to see if the reactions are different. Yeah. You know, because, you know, like a ro- like we can tell what a robot is, right? Like right. we know what a robot is. Most the robot doesn't look like a person. But we're getting to the point where a robot will look like a person mm-hmm. and act like a person and maybe smell like a person. And, maybe. you know, it might even be more of a cyborg than a robot because it, you know, there's human skin wrapped around machine. Well, I'm talking about like the Terminator stuff and everything else. Right, right. And, you know, and like th- there's going to be a market for that, how big it is, who knows. Um, but we're we're moving in that direction and it'll be really interesting to see when this comes to the market, what people's reaction is going to be and what impact on society that actually has. My, my um, deep instinct is burn it with fire. I, I, we're a nigh on to the, onto the um, time for me where I'm like 100% ready for the Butlerian Jihad. Bring yeah, it on. Well, <laughs> Kill everything. Well, I, well, okay. And this kind of comes back to what we were talking about a little when we were talking about Oppenheimer, right? Which is, okay, what are the ethical and societal consequences of this progress that we're trying to make, right? Like, and and in Oppenheimer's case, you know, it was, no, 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 we got to build this bomb because we got to, the Germans are going to build the bomb. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. Germany gets beat, right? And it's, well, we're going to use it on Japan. And it's like, well, that makes sense. Because if we invaded Japan, it would be, you know, probably millions of people getting killed. So there, there's all that. But there's this scene in Oppenheimer where um, he's in the uh, Oval Office with Truman, who's played by Gary Oldman. Yeah. And this, and it's three minutes tops. It's a cameo. Mm-hmm. The best that Gary Oldman has ever done. And Gary no Oldman way. is as good an actor he's, as there ever has I been. I was going to say, he's oh my God. perfect in he everything. He's so good as Truman, it's not even funny. Okay. Wow. Okay. And so Oppenheimer says, you know, Mr. President, I feel like I got blood on my hands. Right. And the rea- the reaction he says is, you know, he says, you think people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki give a damn who built the bomb? No, they care who dropped the son bitch. And that's me. Right. He says, you know, this is this Oppen- Hiroshima is not about you. And then, you know, he tells the whoever the other guy was the secretary of war. Somebody says, get that cry baby out of here. Don't bring him back. Yeah. Um, but the whole point was it's, you know, it's, he's over here saying, you know, I, I, I did this because it, we thought it was the right thing to do. And now I'm not so sure. Right. Um, and like, I think that is especially now and maybe always, you know, cause remember Alfred Nobel was the guy who invented dynamite. Right. And so now he's the Nobel Foundation's giving away, you know, a peace prize and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, every technology that you develop is going to be weaponized at some point because, you know, you I mean, you weaponize whatever you have if you're trying to win a war. And so all of these different things and you get to the point where it's like, okay, so how much human comfort are we chasing after? Um. And the things that we make to increase that, that human comfort, what will they do to us? Right? 
um, you know, and you can get back into the slavery argument and you can, it's all these people that had slaves and slavery was such an awful institution. And, you know, you, you can't even teach that there were positives in slavery. And this is all, this is like a common thing that people on the left say all the time, which is, you know, oh my God, there was no positives to slavery. Well, there were tons of positives to slavery. If you owned slaves, that Except was great. For to the slave, right? I would just point out that, you know. Well, agreed. I, oh, you're, oh. the thing is, is that like, um, slavery and the dehumanization of using another person as property, um, I, I'm, I'm not making a counter argument to that. I agree 100%. Right. Now, within that, mm -hmm. there were people uh, that didn't do all that bad as slaves or were set free by uh, the slave owner, right? John McDonough in New Orleans is a perfect example. He had a systematic process of manumission of all of his slaves. You worked for him to pay off what it costs to buy you. And during that time, you got taught a marketable skill and uh, you were educated. And so these people got pumped out of his system. They're whatever, 30 years old, and they're basically middle class. I mean, it was a really pretty good deal to be a slave of John McDonough. And he ended up building the public schools in New Orleans and all these different things. Now, I don't think well, are we better off without slavery at all? Yes. <laughs> Within that, there were positives of, hey, this is a guy you want to, like, in other words, this is a guy you want to work for, right? Well, here's the thing about all of this. I, well, wait, I, wait, wait, let okay. me come to where I'm coming to with this. Okay. The, the people who are spending all this time trying to demonize anyone who puts any context behind slavery, okay, live better, even if they're worthless idiots that live in mom's basement still live better than the richest slaveholders, okay, in the South, all right? They got air conditioning, they got the internet, access to healthcare, it's not even comparable, the whole bit, right? You are so much more comfortable. Machines do the work that could not be done by machines 170 years ago. And you're gonna criticize people that lived an entirely different life than you based on advantages you have that they couldn't even dream of, right? And these same people almost invariably are pro-choice where, where abortion is, is, uh, is the case. In 25 years, abortion will be morally obsolete because medical science is gonna be able to keep a fetus alive at whatever, 10 weeks. By the time you find out you're pregnant, they can take that fetus and incubate it. And then why would you have an abortion? So take the kid and somebody, somebody else will raise it. And that's that, right? And but So we're going to look back 30 years from now. We're going to look back on the pro-choice, pro-abortion people. And we're going to call them moral monsters the same way as they call people who, whether they were slave owners or people that just lived in the antebellum South or whatever and tolerated slavery. Like the same thing, like they're going to be on the wrong side of that divide. And you have this problem with presentism, which th these guys are, especially the, the critical theory crowd is so bad about. And they're like, we, you can see one thing that they're already um, on, in the, on the hook for. 
there's a million other things they're on the hook for too, obviously. But, but I mean, the point is, it's like, um, when you start trying to analyze people's morality based on conditions that don't involve, uh, you know, yours, your frame of reference at all, you, you run into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, and this is very much bound up in technology because the definition of what's moral changes a little every time you have a massive technological boost that changes people's lives. And these are coming all the time, right? Like, I mean, all the time, um, whether it's access to information, you get this whole AI thing, you know, I mean, we, we just talked about robots and I mean, what that's going to do is um, that's going to throw everything on its edge when, you know, people have their personal robot that does all the freaking work for them. There's even, they're, they're now grafting AI into brain cells, which, you know, okay, just follow that, right? And it's like, okay, so instead of educating people, we're just going to download the entire body of um, whatever, mathematics, science, history, I would want to be a part of that experiment. They're already finding in chat GPT-4 that uh, knowledge is degrading, that the AI is, is um, I don't know if it's eating itself or just paying more attention to stupid people, but it's- It's, it's like, like a universe 25 in AI, right? Right. Well, it's getting dumber. And so like they're, they're trying to figure out why. I have my suspicions. I think it's the layering of- filters that only feed into the um, leftist worldview and yeah. that will make you dumber and oh, I, I just no question about it. running these um, filtration systems so if you're only taking things that are factually incorrect and putting it into your ai or accepting certain premises that are wrong at the start the output's going to be bad I, so i don't know if that's i don't think that's a bad thing by the way that's actually a good thing because um, what it will what it will do, number one, it will prove that there is such a thing as objective truth and um, natural law and reality, right? If your AI gets dumber with your propaganda constantly fed into it, it's like you know, Eric Prince, who's the head of Blackwater, was saying, "America." He says, "America is like a turbine engine, and there's only so much gravel you can run through it before the thing is going to completely break down." Right? I think that's probably true of AI. Sure. Um, you know, if you put in filters that, you know, try to select for wokeism, eventually you're going to run into situations that just become un untenable. And there's only so many corners you can paint yourself into. So somebody is going to come along and say, OK, I'm going to do an AI that doesn't actually have those problems. And they'll end up with an AI that's workable. Maybe we'll see. Now, I have a question for you before we okay. end this thing. I've been also reading various topics, depending on who you talk to, um, the stock market's about to take off or we're about ready to have a great recession part de, or, you know, on the precipice of a great depression. If you look at the housing data, the people are who are buying are right, right up to the edge of their ability. Um, and one little sneeze um, personally or in the economy generally will make 
um, them default. And I am seeing little starts of this. I've seen a couple defaults uh, uh, around here. I was looking at a property actually in kind of out in the country, Texas. And um, I, it's a really good deal. And But I wouldn't um, buy it simply because uh, it, everything was electric. And as we talked before, I was like, no, I want yeah. I want a natural that's, gas. That's where your house. money goes away, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so like th there's there's a sense here that I'm just kind of like wondering if there's this kind of frenzy and then it's because it's everything feels like it's slowing down and the Fed really has monkeyed with things and this tends to take nine months to a year to right. really kind of crash everything. And so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about this. Well, I, if, you, if you pay attention to the production side of the economy, it's very soft. Yeah. Very soft. And that's obvious because you we have okay. had so much. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, just, I have a question about that. And I'm not sure that you know the answer. Neither one of us are economists. So um, not that they know anything. Uh, the old joke is, you know, put six economists in a room, you'll get, you know, 25 answers or 25 right. opinions. But uh, I do wonder, um, with that softness, did they just build up through COVID their um, stores of stuff and they're kind of selling off their inventory? And then they're, once that's all gone, there's going to be a bump up again? I don't well. know. Here's the problem, though. Okay, um, look at the effect that government policy is going to have on all that, right? Like we, we were talking earlier about, you know, the water heaters and the gas generators and the, you know, gas stoves and all. It's like, I mean, those are the things that we're talking about. Practically everything that you could make um, is, you know, they're they're messing with these people's, you know, good business practices because of all the climate change crap that they're trying to put in. I mean, you can look at what they've done to the auto industry, trying to force them to, to make EVs that nobody wants, right? And right. so, you know, I mean, you've already started to see a lot of layoffs in, in the, you know, in, the, in, the, in the, the auto sector and all these different things. So you have, um, you have a very soft uh, production side of the economy, um, you know, they're bragging about inflation coming back down. Um, although I think a lot of that has to do with what they've done to the calculation of inflation. Well, that's food, part of food it. prices are up 76% in the last two years. Right. There's no question about that. Like my food bill, food bills are, are doubled easily from yeah. what the pre COVID and like, I'm, and they're still using the strategic petroleum reserve to keep gas below three dollars because that seems to be the threshold where people like mutiny. Right. So then you, so you, so they're still manipulating the economy in a major, major way, mm -hmm. and it just seems unsustainable to me. Well, okay, and but the but my other point is, um, you know, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of these where I'm going to quote you Mises and Hayek, but I actually do think Austrian economics explains most of economics. Oh, that's true. Um, 
and you know, in Austrian economics, there is a big focus on the misinvestment that a boom period generates. Mm -hmm. um, and what we have in this economy really ever since COVID is it's all government driven, right? You're, I mean, you just, you're totally off the rails with how much money the federal government is pumping everywhere. Okay. And the things that they're pumping it into are not productive things. Right. Right. For example, they made a big deal that, and this, I'm like, I can't even stop laughing about this because it's so incredibly stupid that we're, you know, they are now leasing uh, offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, wind energy, right? So they're like, they're leasing federal lands in the Gulf or, you know, federal water bottoms in the Gulf yeah. that you can now build wind turbines in the Gulf of Mexico, okay? okay? Where you're going to have four or five um, major hurricanes every year. Right. And you want to put freaking wind turbines in the path of those storms. They'll work, okay. with, they'll produce a lot of energy in a short amount of time. <laughs> no, they won't because a, a wind turbine, once the wind goes to a certain level, the wind turbine can't function. And what'll happen is I know. you get a cat two hurricane or mm -hmm. something more than that, and it snaps those turbines off. And that's a giant flying sail that's going to freaking, I mean, if you're lucky, it just splashes in the water somewhere, but it may run into an oil platform. It may run into a ship. It may run it. I mean, God knows where it could go. And they're okay. huge, by the way, like if, yes, you know, I'm in Texas and we see the, the parts and pieces on the freeway all the time, highway. They're, oh, right. they're so I mean, massive. You can't apart. even oh, yeah. like one blade of those things is, is it hangs out a beyond the end of the bed of the semi and too wide of it so right. like it's ridiculous Think about that see. getting carried along in 120 mile an hour winds right i mean yeah. like they're, they're you know like they're gonna do this like well we did it you know offshore in uh new jersey and massachusetts right. places like yeah and you don't really get a freaking hurricane in those places like once in a blue right. moon you get a hurricane through there in the Gulf, you get multiple, three, four, five of them a year. And you're going to build right. wind turbines in the middle of that? Like, you know, forget about the danger that that could cause and all of this other stuff. The wasted money. you got to insure this. Right. Who right. in their right mind is going to write insurance on any of that stuff? So that's going to be something the federal government's going to now mm -hmm. have to do the insurance for it. Mm -hmm. And like... There'll be a FEMA for wind termites. Well, there have to be, right? Yeah. But my point is, you know, like you go back to Austrian economics, so you look at this as like, okay, so these are th things that will not make money. They're, this is right. a use of money that is basically being set on fire because it'll never pay for itself. What wind energy does result from that, and there will be some, okay? But what, I mean, then again, you've got to, transmit that energy over hundreds of miles and of course that's one of the big problems that you have with wind is that you lose the electricity over the course of that distance being trans with the transmission lines so you have all of these different problems and then it's six months before a hurricane comes and blows apart your wind turbine right and sends the pieces all over the place 
perhaps causing lots of damage that you then have to pay for. Um, nobody's going to insure that. So now you get the federal government's going to have to throw more money on top of its initial uh, investment or subsidy to get all this stuff up and running. All the people that get involved in it to begin with, they're not going to make a profit. So they're going to be on the federal government's teat. The entire but thing is we're going back to the whole point though as far as the being sold out to the chinese and everything that all of yeah. these things are make us weaker yes. make us more vulnerable make us spend money on things that don't matter it's right. and of course everybody in government right now is a, they're keynesian if if they have any governing philosophy economically at all and the broken window theory they think it's a good thing. So break as many which, things. Which, oh, by the way, that's Chinese economics, right? right? You can do a little reading and find out about all these big cities they built in the middle of the Gobi Desert, right? right? And like nobody lives there. And like we're talking about billions of dollars poured down a hole, the whole rail system they built in China, which yes. is a complete mess. And those trains crash all the time. I mean, like this is how China runs their economy is morons in the center wasting lots of money in hopes of generating economic activity, right? And then, oh, yeah, our economy grew at 8%. It's like, yeah, well, you're not counting the 5% of last year's 8% economic growth that is absolutely down the tubes now because that investment is was wasted, right? And, and we're point, now going to govern ourselves that way too, economically. Well, economically, but the point is to control socially. So like, that sure. so like all of the i don't know we could probably do a montage of all the politicians who praise china's reaction to COVID, the locking down the social credit score the central currency the government controlling everything and to the leftists and the totalitarians in our government in the united states canada new zealand oh, australia throughout europe they envied the Chinese control over their citizens. And they dis deeply desire that now. This is my current favorite conspiracy theory of my own, which is that if they move everything to electric, then they control oh, every single person in America. The natural right. gas throws a monkey wrench in their works because um, that and you know propane, anything gas, um, because right. houses are, are set up liquid or, or, or gas fuel rather than something that comes in on a wire. Right. Um, they can't control. They can't control. Not as easily. It's, it's more difficult. And so, but uh, anyway, okay. So I, I don't know what's going to happen economically. I don't think anyone does. If you told me we would be um going economically like we have been the last however many months i would be like this is just crazy there's just no way because it all feels right. like a you know a house of cards but yeah, i don't it's know a house of cards like but the all the problem you always have with economic projections and, and mm -hmm. all of these you know stock guys and these gold bugs and all they all like you know they're all oh no it's all going to go to hell the real question is when right 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 because right? it could be three months from now it could be three years from now yeah, there's a crash coming because there's always a crash coming. Mm. Um, I think our policy, our economic policies that we're running now at the federal level have never worked over the long haul and they won't work now. 
and we will get a big, massive crash. Everybody knows it's coming. Will it come before, say, this time next year? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Right? So I don't All know. All right. Well, that wasn't very helpful. But if any of you listening, after our last podcast, I actually got some feedback from readers about Ukraine. So thank you. And thank you to uh, the listener who said that she listens to our podcast. Scott, if you can imagine, well, she's gardening. And so she puts our podcast out on and goes to garden. And so okay. thank you for listening. For, um, that's a fun way to, to I have listen. to read up on hibiscus so that I can speak intelligently. <laughs> in that Speaking form. of hibiscus, my hibiscus in the front yard, it's been so hot. I'm going to have to water them tonight because they're dying. Okay, there you go. You covered that base for us. Today. I did cover that base. Thanks, Melissa. Um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and more gardening tips come to me. No, actually, don't. I'm I'm lucky. Definitely don't come to me. I can I kill all that stuff faster than than uh, I don't even want to say how. Okay. Well, so thank you for listening. Like, share all of the business that you do, and we appreciate you. So I I'm curious about everybody's um, economic projections. Econ economics is like their physical body. Everybody has a body, so everybody has an opinion about healthcare. You'll see mm -hmm. this if you've ever been a doctor. They'll come in. Everybody thinks that they're an expert because they have a body, and so and everybody spends money individually, so they think they're an economic expert, including me and you. So like that, you know, there's just an element of, and I do actually considering how bad are the, the managers are in in uh, DC of all of this and how much the local people have been right, I'm kind of thinking we might be the experts here. So if you have some ideas economically about what you think is going on and what you think will happen going into uh, 2024, are we facing a great recession or are we is the economy going to take off like gangbusters finally in the post-COVID era? I'd, I'm curious about your uh, thoughts about that. So just send me an email at Mackenzie M, Mackenzie M at spectator.org. And Scott, where can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, shoot me an email at Scott McKay, all one word at Reviver, R-V-I-V-R.com. You can catch me on Twitter. I guess it's on X. We're going to have to do that next week. We're going to have to talk about X. I hated the name Twitter. No, well, I didn't, I didn't like Twitter either, but I don't really like X either. So I don't know what to, what to tell Elon to do. Uh, but anyway, on X, uh, I am, I'm at the Hayride and also at reviver.com like d-o-t-c-o-m so you can catch me there okay well thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next week